idea that the Advent reading for today was the very passage that I would be bringing to you this morning. I want to begin with Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. When eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Jesus has been born into a good Jewish family. And being a good Jewish family, they were following, of course, of course the laws of Moses in the Torah. And they take their baby dutifully to the temple to be circumcised according to the covenant that Yahweh, Jehovah, had stipulated centuries before. And there he would receive the name given to him, not by his parents, but by an angelic messenger whose name was Gabriel, whose name means God is my strength. And as part of that ceremony, an offering had to be made, which normally would require a lamb. But in verse 24, Mary and Joseph were given the option of bringing turtle doves. The offering allowed a poor family, as a lamb was obviously much more expensive. Couldn't afford a sacrificial lamb. The irony here is poignant. Mary and Joseph came not with just a lamb, but with the lamb, who a few years down the road would indeed be sacrificed in the sacrifice of all sacrifices, never to be repeated again. Out of nowhere then, in verse 25, we're introduced to a stranger about whom little is written, which is what it means to be given short shrift. For all we know about Simeon is written right here in this portion of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke tells us that he was righteous and he was devout, meaning that he was one of the remnant, one of those faithful Jews who throughout the Old Testament and right into current time were one of the Jews who really truly believed God and were truly looking for the coming Redeemer, the Messiah, not as they had visioned him, but as God had told them, through the Katuvim, the Neveim, the Toharot, the whole Old Testament. And so as a true believer, Simeon, being righteous and devout, was looking for the consolation of Israel. The grammar here tells us more than what probably meets the eye. Grammatically, the word looking was, is what is called an active present participle, meaning that Simeon's looking was not something that was just casual. It was not a passive act. But it was a conscious and a constant vigil as he lived his life. It wasn't an afterthought, but in fact it was the very central purpose and the hope of his existence. In a sense, Simeon breathed just to be able to see with his eyes that one, capital O, promised from of old, the one whom Luke here in the passage in the original calls Parakletos. You may not recognize that name, but in Luke's text here, while it's translated consolation, it is the exact same word that John uses in his gospel to talk about the Holy Spirit. 
And it has a semantic range ranging from advocate to the helper to a comforter. But let's remember again that the Bible for Simeon was not what we have today, but it was only the Old Testament, which included again the prophecies, the law, and the writings. And one of the prophecies that I am confident he was very familiar with because of its, its, its major significance, if you will, in the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah is the book of Isaiah. And while the first 39 chapters of Isaiah is filled with the gloom and doom of Israel, talking about God's people and their failings and their waywardness and all of it leading to this despair, something changes in chapter 40. Chapter 40 commences with what is considered the second of three parts within Isaiah's entire prophecy. Let's see what it says. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Simeon, being righteous and devout, knew the law of Moses. He knew the writings, and he knew the prophets. And so he got up every morning with all of the aches and pains that go along with those Wonderful golden years. Each day would greet him with the toll of care just that comes from being careworn with life and all the physical ailments again that come in, 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 in the uh, end of our years or maybe not so much in the end of our years. But he was also born into a land that was ruled by a brutal Gentile army and with all of the attendant injustices that go with that. And while attempting to find some solace, Attending temple worship, even there, Simeon found himself under a system of religious leadership that was as corrupt as Rome was. And so he puts his sandals on day after day. He's hoping today would be the day, the day that he was foretold, the day that he might behold in the flesh the one whose promise that he has been clinging to, to whom for centuries he read about in Isaiah, would be in his very nature the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And Luke adds that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon's calling, Simeon's compulsion to be watching was not self-generated. It was divinely inspired. And what I have to also remind us here is that the Holy Spirit had not yet been given wholesale. Remember before Jesus went back to be with the Father after his resurrection, and he was trying to encourage the people about the fact that he was going to have to leave one day, he says to them, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because then 
the parakletos, the comforter, the Holy Spirit will be sent. Up until this time, you see, the Holy Spirit was only portioned out now, here and there and there, at the Father's desire for a season and for a time. But the day was coming when all who believe would receive that Holy Spirit the moment they believe. And so the Holy Spirit is appointed to Simeon for this time. And the Holy Spirit reveals to him in verse 26 that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So when we view this from a vantage point of a story that's been written many thousands of years ago, it seems to be kind of natural to sort of marvel at Simeon and maybe even kind of ooh and ah because of his faith and and it's all inspiring and everything. And it should be. But let's try and bring this a little closer to home. Let's try and take it out of the realm of a story thousands of years old that we look at and go, oh, my, wasn't he a great man? Okay, next. I want you to be Simeon this morning, not in his day, but in your day, right now, in your life, or Simone, if you're a female. The Lord tells you, and I don't know how he does that, but he does it in such a way that you're not sitting there going, hmm, boy. Was that the Lord or was that the still small one is really me talking or a piece of pepperoni that went bad or what was it, you know? No, you have no doubt whatsoever that the Lord has spoken to you and he tells you that the one that you have trusted in, in whose return you believe in, is in fact going to come in your lifetime. Ooh. You will not die but you will live to see his second coming. What are your thoughts and your feelings? Don't be too quick to answer that until I'm through here. Maybe your first impulse is unqualified excitement. But again, don't be too quick to answer. Does your reaction, do your thoughts and your feelings really depend more upon your particular station in life right now? Meaning, what's going on in your life? Is your life kind of going well right now, or is it terrible? You'll see what I mean again as I work through this. So let's just say Simone, for the moment, is going to be 16 years old next week. She's got her driver's permit. She's got all her hours done, which means a new day of freedom and liberty called a driver's license is just on the horizon. You're going to experience a new freedom that you have not known. So what do you think? Do you think, oh, come Lord Jesus, or could you hold off for a few years maybe? Okay, let's take it up. Let's say you're in your 20s and you have finally found Mr. Wright or Miss Wright. And you're engaged to be married to the dream of your life. And your life right now could not be more exciting. What are your thoughts? Come, Lord Jesus? Or, man, not now. Can you wait a few years? Okay, you're in your 50s. You're tired of winter. A normal, normal winter. And you just bought property in Fort Myers. <laughs> and this will be your last winter here. 
just remember, we got a lot of months ahead of us yet. Don't get cocky about the winter thus far. What are your thoughts? Oh, come, Lord Jesus, or huh, can you come a few years from now, maybe? Okay, I'm 67. You've been working the grind since you're 12 years old, since you had that paper route or the babysitting jobs or whatever it was. And you are staring the days of leisure and no time clock and no bosses and no mashed fingertips working out in the cold, frigid woods or maybe in a milking barn through the winters that are just getting more difficult as you go on and you are just flat worn out. What are your thoughts? Come, Lord Jesus. Or can you hold off for a few more years? Just one more. You're 88 years old. Everything you do is painful. You are dependent on so many people for so many things. And your life pretty well consists now of going from one doctor appointment to another. What are your thoughts? Come, Lord Jesus. Okay, well, we're talking about Simeon, though. And so maybe you're thinking, well, okay, I kind of get what you're trying to do here, but it's not really fair because, I mean, after all, look at Simeon. Simeon was old. What did he have to live for anyway? And how many days did he really even have to live? Well, actually, despite what I said earlier, about putting his feet on the floor and feeling the aches and pains of being aged and all. You realize, and again, this is all we know is what's written here about Simeon. There's nothing in the text that says he was an old man. That's been an assumption that just kind of derived over time with tradition, and it has kind of stuck. He may very well have been aged, and just for the sake of the rest, let's assume that that is the case, that Simeon was, in fact, quite elderly. If Simeon was excited to see his Savior, it was not because he was old. It was because his life was utterly focused on the coming hope of mankind. My little exercise that we just did of let's pretend wasn't intended to be some kind of a drive-by guilting either. Because I'm going to be honest with you, and I want you to be honest with yourself, that I am telling you that I have had these kinds of thoughts more than a few times, and I'm sure that I will probably continue to. That is, something special is on the horizon. Something really fun or something that you have planned for a long time and maybe you had to even save up for years to do or something. And it's something that, that you're really looking forward to. And so you think, gosh, what if the Lord returns in two days? I hope not. Now, can I be equally candid with you again? I, I don't, I don't expect the Lord to return in two days. No matter what I say I believe about the doctrine of what's called imminency, meaning he could return at any moment, I do believe that, but honestly, I don't expect him to be here next week or the week after. That's my own downfall. That's my own weakness. Because you see, if I really did live that way, 
or at least think that way, that the Lord could really be here this afternoon. I think that there are certain things in my life that I might do differently. That's what spiritual maturity is. It's growing to be more and more like Jesus who was completely focused on doing the will of His Father. But truth be told, if the Lord asked any of us, is it okay if I come back next Wednesday, wouldn't some of our honest-to-God thoughts be, next Wednesday, really? How about in a couple of months when I'm back from Italy? Or how about next January so I'll be able to see my first grandchild? Don't we think that way? That was an honest thought that I had when I received news that our we were expecting our firstborn grandchild. Oh, that's nine months away. I wonder if we get to meet him or her. Now we have ten. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't see... I don't see that in Simeon. I see Simeon living and craving and breathing for the purpose and with the promise of actually seeing the one that he had only heretofore known by faith. And that is what changed the entire ordering of his days. Do you remember Job's words at the end of his saga? Job in chapter 42, verse 5 says, Job speaking, I have heard of you, referring to God Almighty, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. That's by faith. But now my eyes see you. And what difference did that make to Job? Let me remind you that Job had been on a lengthy rant about how unfair his life was. And he had more than a few things to pick a bone with God about because somehow Job along the way lost perspective on who God is and who he was and he felt God owed him some answers. And then God finally spoke though. Didn't answer his questions amazingly. But God spoke. And Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now I see you with my eyes. And therefore, because of that, I retract. And I take it all back. And I repent in dust and ashes. Boy, can't we tend to get a pretty good mouth going, man, about somebody when they're not around, right? I don't know about you when you were in high school, but I was not a fighter. Okay, I couldn't afford to be a fighter at four foot eleven when I started high school. Okay, by the time I left, I might have hit five feet one or two. I don't know. I was not a fighter. I was fast. <laughs> yeah, we do things differently when that person is just kind of out there as a theory instead of, in a sense, face to face. Well, I had a real life experience that I'm not proud of. I used to be a letter writer, less so now, because I've seen the futility of my ways, meaning a letter writer to write every injustice that ever came about, which means legislators and governors of this state probably know me by name, and not in a good way. 
except for Governor LePage. Well, I wrote a letter one day, and I forget what about, but I wrote it to Senator Angus King. And, of course, you know, when you're writing, come on, the senator's not going to read this, okay? He has somebody who's probably hired just to do that, and they sit there and they kind of scan the thing, and they go, okay, a person's for this, and they're against that, and maybe they take a little tally, and they go, okay, pro this issue, boom, one check mark. And that's about it, and it's in the trash can. And so, you know, I have to say I didn't express myself the way I would have if I was doing it face-to-face with the senator. What difference did it make? And then I got back a letter to Dear Bill that was personally written by Senator King. And I sat there going, I cannot believe this. And I felt like, you know what. And so I wrote him immediately back, apologizing. Now, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, I don't sit there and, I mean, I do remember who I am and, you know, and like it or not, representative faith and all that. But it still, it was not the tone that I would have written if I knew he was getting it personally. And I apologized profusely to him for it. And it was a good lesson for me from that point on. And I have practiced it. It makes a big difference from knowing somebody theoretically versus actually seeing them in a sense of close and personal. Simeon was remarkable because he truly longed for the coming of Messiah's day, empowered by the Holy Spirit as he was. Honestly, lately I've been considering how our blessings, if you will, of living in America affect this whole idea of our longing for the return of the Lord. Because I believe, again, that it is largely dependent on our circumstances. And so I was playing with this in my own head, and I was wondering if my longing for the Lord would be different if my environment were different. Meaning if I, if I lived in Nicaragua, where my daughter is currently living now, and for the future, as far as they know, with her husband and, and my grandchildren, living in a third world country, and thanks to FaceTime, in a sense, we can experience a lot of what it's like to live in their third world country. And so just uh, not long ago, I'm thinking, first of all, about the prospects of my ever getting to even visit there now in the near future because of, again, my compromised immune system. And this really came to the fore as my daughter was telling me just in passing about getting up that morning and cleaning bat poop off the counters and off the floors and taking and cutting out pieces of the fruit that the bats eat at night because their house, you see, is, is at least the one they were in. They just moved two weeks ago because the house was sold. But the house is open air. You're not worried about snowdrifts, okay? And so that bats live in their house just as kind of household pets, I guess. And I said, wait, you're cleaning up bat poop in your house? And they're eating your fruit, and they're eating the fruit that they were standing on, or whatever they do to eat the fruit. The pestilence, the vermin, the rabies. I want my grandbabies back now. You can stay there, but I want my grandbabies. Well, let me take it one step further. 
And I checked several sources on this because I didn't want to throw out some totally bizarre figure. But there are somewhere around 12 million people living in refugee camps around the globe. 12 million living in refugee camps, meaning living in tents, and all the squalor that that means of no plumbing and et cetera, et cetera, and, and food and drink and everything else. So here's my point. Three scenarios. Living in America. Living in a third world country. Living in a refugee camp. You'll receive reliable word now that help is on the way. I'm asking you to kind of live simultaneously now in those three areas. And you'll receive word that help is on the way and that somewhere along the line you are going to be picked up and you're going to be taken away from that, your situation, and you're going to be taken someplace that's just ridiculously nicer. In which of the three situations, America, a third world country, or a refugee camp, do you think you're active, conscious, constant looking and longing for the person coming would be the greatest. Me too. Sinai is remarkable because, among other things, he wasn't in a horrid situation. Sinai was living, in a sense, the good life, as far as we know. And yet Simeon, the Holy Spirit upon him, learned to see the one promised. And where did his faithful vigilance get him? Remember what was the promise? Well, that he would see the Lord's Christ. And how would he know him when he saw him? Well, what happened? Luke verse 27, chapter 2. And Simeon came in the Holy Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then Simeon took him into his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. As far as we know, Simeon was a nobody. And I mean that as far as the temple service went. It's not like he had an official position or he was a rabbi or anything else. So there was no reason for him to be there at that time and on that day, except that the same spirit who told him that he would see the promised one drove him to the temple to observe a mundane ritual that was performed routinely whenever a male child was born. Simeon was watching to see the Messiah. He wasn't waiting for a birth announcement. But he goes and he sees his Savior, but even more, he holds him in his arms and prays. And I find it interesting that Simeon doesn't pray for the baby Jesus. He doesn't even pray for Mary or for Joseph. But he prays rather a prayer of thanksgiving for fulfilling the promise that God had made to him and that it was more than even what he ever expected. And his father and his mother, verse 33, again, a present active participle, were in a state of constant amazement, my interpretation of the word, at the things which were being said about him. I love the way, I know it's only a video and it's an interpretation, but I love the way the video shows Mary and Joseph just being 
Huh? I don't know if you caught the guy standing next to Joseph who sees Simeon go down on his knees. And he goes, like, he shouldn't be doing that. This is a baby for crying out loud. And Joseph's just looking dazed. And then they go walking out. And Mary, Mary's gorgeous with that expressionless expression. And yet she turns and looks again as if to say, what just happened? And Joseph, he takes a second look back as they're walking out. What just happened? They were in a constant state of amazement. It made me think of Mark Lowry's song, to put it in perspective, Mary, did you know? Just an excerpt from it. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will someday walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you? <laughs> Let's be fair. How does anyone comprehend such things? Mary and Joseph couldn't wrap their heads and their hearts around the reality of being the parents of the one who created them and the universe. Is that surprising in the least? Well, maybe if we are so jaded and so familiar with the words of Christmas that we've become dulled to the sheer mystery of the miracle of the incarnation of God taking on flesh. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even our own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. As if Mary's mind wasn't dizzied enough. Simeon speaks words of sobering foreboding of what lays ahead for her son and for her. At the risk of being simplistic, let me paraphrase. Simeon's words. This baby of yours will be the very reason for the destruction of all who refuse to embrace this one as the one and only Savior of mankind. People's attitudes, words, their lifestyles are going to reveal who and what they are and in whom and in what they have placed their faith for eternity. And just bringing this down and really simplifying it even more to a phrase. This baby is the line in the sand for all who've ever lived and will live. And everyone must choose this day whom you will serve. And not choosing as if there is a safe place of neutrality or an open-mindedness to all possibilities. Sin inspired by God says not choosing is choosing. Where he says the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Simeon's lifeblood was that his eyes had seen the Lord's salvation and he was even able to embrace him. Taking him in his arms, the one who takes all who believes unto his bosom for all time and eternity. Max Lucado writes, such was the lifestyle of Simeon, and such can be ours. Haven't we, like Simeon, 
been told of the coming Christ? Aren't we, like Simeon, heirs of a promise? Are we not prompted by the same Spirit? Are we not longing to see Him to His face? I don't want to underestimate, or rather understate or overstate, the importance of the Holy Spirit in Simeon's life. But the fact of the matter is, today, now, right now, here, Everyone who believes is already indwelt by that same Spirit. So no matter what is going on in the world, the hope for mankind is the Redeemer. It is the Savior. It is the coming, conquering King. And the question is, is He your hope this morning? I'm going to ask Scott Ludwig to come on up. Is He, this Jesus, not the one maybe you've created or the world's created, but the one of Scriptures, who is a wonderful counselor, Almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the line is drawn in the sand with a baby. Choose you this day whom you will serve.